What's up, FA Nation? My name is Justin Fensterman, along with my buddies Matt Sells and John Impemba, and this is another edition of the Family Times podcast here on FantasyAlarm.com, right in the heart of fantasy football season. And guys, just as advertised, just as expected, we are decimated. And when I say decimated, I mean really decimated with injuries. What's going on, though? Oh... Doing doing pretty well, you know. Uh, baseball ended last <laughs> night. We're recording this on Wednesday, so I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, baseball ended. NASCAR uh, finally got its race underway from Sunday. It finally finished today on Wednesday. That's right. It was a 72 hour rain delay, uh, and you know, there's some pretty interesting football stuff that's surfacing, like Allen Robinson and concussion protocol. Oh, and man. trades being made. Well, what and... about Christian McCaffrey, too? What about, yep. I mean, John, like, we got to bring you in here because you and I have had multiple discussions. John's been Mr. Sirius XM all week long here, show after show after show, primetime and Pemba, we'll call him for tonight. John, we, we talked about this a little bit regarding Mike Davis, Christian McCaffrey. It seemed like when we woke up on Monday, it was like, okay, well, we're probably not going to see him for another week. And then all of a sudden, the reports have come out that he could take contact. He's a little bit healthier than we thought. And we could actually see him back in action on Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, we still don't really know, right? Like, they have designated him to return, but we haven't gotten uh, a word yet for if he's going to play, how many snaps he's going to play, what's going to happen if he plays. Uh, I'm already feeling a ton of questions on what to do with Mike Davis and if you should Ooh. start on the answers. The answer is yes to that because I don't think he's going to have a full thing, um, you know. But it, it's definitely an interesting scenario that he's back at practice and they're already willing to play him on a short week. Yeah, it really is, and I mean, sells moving forward here because here's the thing: I don't want our audience, and I've said this on shows because a report came out from Matt Rule saying that Davis will still play, but I don't want people taking those kind of reports. To the point where they're thinking, okay, that means he has standalone value, even with McCaffrey back in. What do you think about that? Do you think there's any hope for Davis with sharing with McCaffrey, or you think it's all about McCaffrey and Davis essentially becomes irrelevant, buried on your bench? I think eventually he's going to become irrelevant. I mean, McCaffrey I mean, played yeah. 80 plus percent of the snaps when healthy. So I don't see a way. Yeah, the question though is how no, healthy is he? No, asking about like Davis still being relevant. When McCaffrey is fully back. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, because McCaffrey plays right. around 80% of the snaps. So there's not going to be much room for Davis to have much of a fantasy impact. So once McCaffrey's back back, there's, I mean, Davis will have the role he had before, which was non-existent. Right. But this week, there might be some value for Davis because I don't know that they're going to fully play McCaffrey this week. I mean, to me, it doesn't make much sense. I don't think you need him to beat um, who are they playing? The Falcons? Yep. Um, don't think you need McCaffrey on the field to beat the Falcons. The Falcons are terrible. And, you know, the first day and a half or so this week, we were all under the impression that McCaffrey was in the red jersey at practice, non-contact jersey. So how is he going to go from that on a Monday to f- fully playing in a game on a Thursday? Doesn't make any sense. I don't know why you wouldn't just let him, you know, Maybe get a little touches, but I think Mike Davis will have some value this week. Because, um, frankly, I think Matt Rule's comments are more trustworthy than Sean McVay's at this point, who keeps saying that Cam Akers is going to have a role 
and his role increased from one snap two weeks ago to two snaps last week. Oh, uh, man. So I got, by the way, Sells I, and Ronis completely did not understand the reference. And I felt like the biggest idiot. You're you're a Mortal Kombat guy, right? Uh, a little bit. All right. So, you know, do you know who Shang Tsung is at all? <laughs> yes. Okay. And he steals souls. I feel like yes. Sean McVay is Shang Tsung feasting off of Cam Akers' soul, and he refuses to relinquish it. And that's what it's going to take for Cam Akers to start producing or even being somewhat involved in this offense. Yeah, it's ridiculous. He's had, uh, what, like four total snaps the last two weeks? It's insane. I mean, I realize that Daryl Henderson's doing decent work out of the backfield, not, you know, great, not light him up type stuff, but decent. Oh, well, that's but what Malcolm like, Brown is for. Let's get him right, involved. But I don't understand how you go from Cam Akers is going to be the starting running back week <laughs> one. We drafted him that high. He's the most talented guy we have to, he, you know, he got like Wally pipped basically because like he kind of got like the rib thing and then he hasn't seen the field even though he's supposed to be healthy. I don't know. It's, it's pretty weird. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know if he necessarily got Wally pipped because – they didn't yeah, I guess he didn't have the starting role to begin. Yeah, they didn't even start the season with him really being the lead back. Malcolm Brown got the work, and then and the you know he got some carries, but he wasn't the featured guy. And then he got hurt. He got hurt in week two. Right. Right. Yeah, so, but I'm saying so week one, he, it's not as if he was, he was the guy in week one. Malcolm Brown was right. the guy in week one. Right. So you know, it's just you want to say he fell out of the rotation, sure, but it seemed like and McVeigh alluded to this from the beginning. They were going to ride the hot hand. They were going to play the three running back sets. They were going to, you know, do all those things. Uh, and then, you know, he came back from his injury. He had the nine carries. He looked good. And, you know, McVay said against the 49ers, he fell out of the game script. And against the Bears, he wanted to run more physical and needed Brown for that. So, I don't know. What what team is Cam Akers supposed to play against? Apparently, it's just the Washington football team, right? Because that's the only <laughs> team he's played against so far when he came back from injury. Yeah, but, like, I mean, I don't know. You draft the guy that highly. You talk so highly of him. is like, oh, we can't believe he fell this far. He, we think he's the most talented back in the draft class. And then you're putting him behind Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown, who weren't even good enough to supplant literally a non-functioning Todd Gurley. Like, I, well, I don't... that's harsh. He ran for, like, 900 yards and had 12 well, last year, but the year before that, when the knee really started to, to you know, be a factor the last, the back half of the yeah, season. Who do, who do they have there? They had that old veteran running back there uh, from that was with... Uh, C.J. Anderson, right? Yeah, no, C.J. Not... Anderson, yeah. So yeah, C. no, he got all the work in the Super Bowl. Yeah, the... the guy who was off the couch like three weeks before that so <laughs> like it's the thing if these guys can't supplant cj anderson who now i'm pretty sure isn't even in the nfl anymore yeah, no, the nope. then well, like, everybody definitely came in thinking henderson was a guy last year um so that's same, what sean mcveigh said he yeah said same, there was sort be same, yeah, I, so we can't we can't trust sean mcveigh is the i don't the, think we getting, so my developing opinion on this is that we can't trust sean mcveigh with rookie running backs i think he likes to have them like settle in, maybe get a feel for the NFL, and then year two uh, is their involvement. So maybe, maybe next year is like a post-hype Cam Akers season. And I want to bring this up because, John, you know this. I, I caught a little bit of heat because on Monday night show on Sirius XM on Alarm After Hours, I, I was talking 
with you, John, about just how hard it is, especially in 12-team leagues, to drop Cam Akers. I know that roster spots are so valuable if you're under 500 especially, and people took that as, I'm saying, don't drop Cam Akers. I was just saying that, look, if, you're, if your running backs are getting creamed, then you got to drop him at this point. You're seeing is believing we haven't seen anything in, in weeks. But at the same time, saying that it's hard dropping Cam Akers, that is something that I stick with because I still this week struggled dropping Cam Akers. Yeah, you shouldn't be struggling with that, Fancy. Just let him go. Thank you. Just, just let him go. Yeah. I have an attachment problem, okay? I'm a whore. It's okay. Okay? This isn't the uh, Titanic here where Rose and Jack are on the board you know, saying, I won't let go. No, let him go. Just let him go. It's okay. See, but let then him... it would be Titanic because she let him go. Yeah, but she was saying, like, I won't let go. I won't let go. And then eventually she did. So that should be you. Get to the point where you let go. Yeah. Um, because so, unless... And Sels is sitting there being like, I have a child. Yeah, right, exactly. No, just it's it's done. All right, at this point, unless you're in a very deep league with huge benches or you're in a position where you can afford to hold on to him, fine. Or a But as of now, you're holding on to a guy who isn't seeing the field. So, like, and he's healthy. So what is it that you're hoping for there? You need, you know, you could be missing out on adding a guy who could break out, who maybe is potentially seeing the field all of a sudden. And then you're, oh man, I held on the acres too long, you know, like, right. So, you know, if you want to give them, what do the Rams have this week? The Rams have, uh, the name? dolphins. Right. If, if Cam Akers can't get on the field against Miami, who should be a team that I would assume acres game script wise should be involved in. I can't imagine they're going to get blown out like they were against the 49ers. And this isn't a team that you have to run physical against, in my opinion, like the Bears. If Akers doesn't get on the field and doesn't get close to double-digit touches, you know, whether it's catches and rushing or whatever, then that's it. Like, he's just never going to get on the field buying an injury. Especially with a rookie quarterback starting for the Dolphins facing uh, the front seven for the Rams. By the way, let, let's have a talk about that for a second because two is getting his first start. When it comes to the Dolphins' options outside of Gaskin, are you guys trusting anybody else from this team at this point for season long? I don't even trust Gaskin. <laughs> guy, I, the guy I literally Gaskin doesn't score. The volume that he gets, but... Yeah, but he doesn't score. Wow. Yeah, but in PPR leagues, he's involved in Cells, Cells, remember, Cells, we can't be too greedy here, man. I mean, we've got bye weeks, and we've got a ton of running back injuries, bro. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I've had Gaskin on one of my rosters for about six weeks now, and he does get, and I've used him as a bye week filling, but my problem is that the guy gets, I think the last two weeks, he's gotten a combined double-digit amount of carries in the red zone and no touchdowns. I mean, it's the same reason that CEH got re- got essentially replaced in the goal line by Lev yeah. Bell in Kansas City. They don't have they don't have that guy. They don't want to, they don't even have Howard active anymore. Well, I know, but I'm just saying, even without that guy, he's still not scoring. Yes, he's getting the volume, but it's still not really producing anything but yards. And if you're in a PPR league, then he's more valuable. But in a standard league, it's hard to even go with him. But of wide course. receiver or tight end wise, I'm not sure I really trust anybody at this point. Yeah, I said the same thing. You don't know until because I don't know who has the chemistry with two. You know, two has been working with the number twos this whole time. Does he have chemistry with Isaiah Ford? You know, does he have chemistry with uh, 
uh, was it Adam Shaheen? Is that his, the, the tight end <laughs> yes, name there? Like, yes. you know, does he have he chemistry? He just got a two-year extension by now. Yeah. You know, does he have chemistry with these guys because he's working with them and the number two, you know, working number twos with them? Or is he going to be like some rookies are and they just cone in on their top guy? So does all of a sudden Devontae Parker get 15 targets a game because he's the number one and two would trust them? You know, like I have to wait and see exactly – how the offense now runs with a rookie quarterback. I also still don't fully understand why they switched from Fitzmagic to Tua. Like, I get you took the guy in the first round anticipating he's the quarterback of the future, but, like, why is the future now? Like, you've got to... Because, okay, I I can discuss this. I've thought about this a little bit more, and it's one of those things where it makes a lot more sense now. And the reason, my rationale behind it, as much as it sucks... I figured this was the plan all along when it comes to Miami and the fact that they're, they've won a few games as well. Instead of just having them wait and start fresh, put them in a situation where the team's in a bit of a competitive spot so he gets those reps in now so that by next year he's fully used to it. It's one thing when the team's not competing. There's a lot that goes into it. Maybe the team's not as inspired. But if they're still competing, then why not give him a shot to ha- – Get that competitive mindset from the start. I, okay, I, I see that from that perspective. If you're still competing, the snaps mean more. You're not like that way. If you start from scratch next year and you find yourself competing, it's not a brand new experience for him in the NFL. Granted, he came from Alabama and they're always in the thick of it in college football, obviously. Um, but those so, quarterbacks okay. from Alabama don't really play well because Alabama well, that's just- true so much better than the competition that yeah. then it's like they don't have the experience against any real adversity. Right? When's like the last good NFL Alabama quarterback? That's what I'm saying. Is, is it, it Joe Namath? AJ McCarron? Is he an Alabama guy? Like, Yeah. Is it Joe Namath? <laughs> right. So yeah. Do you they're, literally they're, have to go back to Broadway Joe? Yeah, they're so they're so dominant that they you know they don't have those quarterbacks you know, often don't have success because, you know, it's they don't have to try, you know, like it's, you know, Tim Tebow is like the greatest college quarterback forever. And that's because, you know, his receivers were 15 yards ahead of the opposing quarterbacks half the time. You just you didn't have to have mechanics. You just had to throw it down there, you know, like. Well, you also I mean, that Urban Meyer system hasn't really produced. Urban Meyer's really only produced one good NFL quarterback in Alex Smith. The rest of them have been terrible. No, right. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like the 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 top tier talent, like at quarterback, typically I feel like the guys that actually play in competitive games are the ones that are the best, you know, because yeah, they they you know they they go up against defenses that actually, you know, are, are just as strong. Whereas, you know, Alabama always has a strong running game, always has a great offensive line. Their quarterbacks aren't asked to win them games. Tua was. You know, maybe that's a difference. Like Tua was asked to sling, you know, but they have great receivers because they're quarter, you know, in running backs most of the time because they're just so much better than the competition. Right. I mean, look at the running backs and wide receivers Alabama has churned out in the last like decade alone. Right. I mean, you know, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs. Um, there's like Mark, a whole line Mark of Mark Ingram. Yeah, Mark Ingram. Oh, don't even mention that name to me. You want to get on my bad side. This guy freaking sucks. Hurt or not, 
What a waste. And I freaking traded Jamison Crowder for him, too. Maybe one of the worst moves in my entire fantasy football career. I told Ronis about this. Is that worse than you spending everything on Ty Johnson last year? That's that is right. It's not worse than that. No, it well, is you not didn't have a choice in that situation, though. So, <laughs> right. Well, he could have picked up somebody else. No, you want you ready for this? I almost had the deal done originally for Antonio Gibson, and the guy yeah. backed out. That would have been awesome, but you know, beggars can't be choosers, I guess. But I clearly undersold the guy. He's a target monster. Mark Ingram's crap in a crap situation in crap Baltimore. And so because of that, I, you know, it, it hurt or not, this guy is essentially, we're, you know, we're talking ghosts on Alarm After Hours. This guy is one of the biggest ghosts going. Except for maybe Mike Evans. He'll be, he'll be big this week, though. No, no Godwin. Uh, yeah, well, well, what about Scotty Miller? <laughs> no, Evans still doesn't. Scotty Miller doesn't impact Evans. Uh, Evans is whenever Godwin's out, uh, Brady goes to Evans. It's crazy. He won't go to him otherwise, but he'll go to him when there's no Godwin. Yeah, but that's been the story for Mike Evans' entire career is that he scores all of his fantasy points in half the games he plays. Yeah. Like, yeah. seriously, I'm not kidding. If you look up his average points per game, you go, oh, that's spectacular. And then you actually look up what he does, and he'll go, like, 16 points, 2 points, 30 points, 2 points, 40 points, 5 points. Like, it's ridiculous. The guy, as Bob Long would say, is not consistent. <laughs> I mean, wait till Antonio Brown dives right into there, too. Oh, my God. It's going to be like, who the hell is Scotty Miller? <laughs> yeah, Miller uh, probably won't see the field. No, Miller, Miller, will be, Miller will be the Jets' number two receiver next year. That's what's going to happen. I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand getting Antonio Brown. I just, I don't I get it. I understand it. You want, you want elite talent, man. You yeah, but what's, good, last what's year. good is elite talent if he's such a head case he can't even get on the field and he ruins the rest of your elite talent. Well, you're I'm assuming they did their due diligence on him and he's maybe straightened himself so up. So did supposedly the other three teams that are still paying him to not play for them. No, that's not true. Last year everybody knew that Antonio Brown was a head case. They were willing to risk at the the addition of him being on their team given the skill set. But this year, given the suspension, given everything that went on, he hasn't been on social media. He hasn't been causing a ruckus out in the streets of Florida with cops being called to his house. He's not getting in any domestic disputes. He's largely been a model citizen. Uh, you know, I, I think for those reasons, they were willing to give him a shot this year. Well, unlike last year, they were literally just hoping to use him for his football skills and hope he didn't blow up anything. Didn't happen. What do you think yeah. sells Antonio I still, Brown? I still don't get it. You have Mike Evans. You have Chris Godwin. You've got – Yeah, but Godwin more... can't stay healthy. He, he just broke his hand again. Like, well, guys, a walking injury log all season long. Yeah, it's bad. You had to, Wait, because this is what injury number three now because you had the concussion too. Concussion, hamstring, yeah. and now a broken finger. <laughs> That's so bad, Sells. That's so bad, bro. It really is. I know – look, I mean, Brady – Brady makes a lot of people look better, but I'm sure whatever Tom Brady says goes at this point. And I'm sure that he says, bring him in. I thought that they were going to bring him in before the season started. Well, yeah, but Bruce Arian said, no, we're not doing that. There's no way he's stepping foot inside well, my locker a room. Freaking yeah, but then Coach Brady stepped in. That is getting more well, advice, too. That's why there was a – that's how it started. This is how it's 
going now tweet about that because Bruce Arians, they had the quote from Bruce Arians is this is how it started. And then the Antonio Brown signing the one year deal is this is how it's going. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do I hope it works out for Antonio Brown? I mean, I guess the guy has talent, but the guy has been blowing up teams like nobody's business for the last, what, two years? And at some point, he's going to blow up in Tampa Bay. It's just going to happen. He's going to take another hit, and that CTE is going to kick in, and he's going to go nuts. Like, I'm not even trying to joke. I just think the guy is so messed up in the head. I don't don't know. Brady had an intervention with him with Tony Robbins, so... Oh, Tony Robbins is involved. That's hmm. going to cure everything. Yeah, he did. Him and Brady, Brady had him uh, do a thing with Tony Robbins, and he's fixed now. That's called being proactive, Cells. My my working theory that I said today on the Fantasy Alarm Show, whether or not I said it on air or off air is a different story, uh, that Antonio Brown has had the Bucks playbook this entire time. Just like Gronk accidentally let it slip that he had the the Bucks material before the trade was official between New England and Tampa Bay. It wouldn't shock me if Antonio Brown a month ago had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playbook, right? Like, there's a reason why Bruce Arians is like, oh, he's in great shape and he's already in the workout rooms and he's he's in the meetings and he'll be ready to go until next week. Really, he picked up your whole system in a week, or did he have the material already? Because Tom Brady's been working out with them on the side, probably in his home and you know home in Tampa Bay, because Brady let. Antonio Brown lived with him while he was in New England for the two weeks that he was there. It wouldn't shock me if all of a sudden, you know, Brady's like, Antonio, come live in my mansion that Jim Rending from Jeter, you know, and we'll throw some passes in my backyard while we work out your contract situation. None of that would shock me with Tom Brady right now. He's, he's essentially selling his soul to win another championship. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look, he's coming in. So, so is, is Tom Brady become the LeBron James of the NFL? Where he's just orchestrating all no, the deals to get Tom the talent. No, because Tom Brady's won his championships where he was without good talent around him. Or that's not fair. The Patriots had an elite defense that helped win those those early championships. In the in the middle years, they gave him a really strong ground game, but he still never had the super team around him. I would say more Those so. The team that went <laughs> eighteen and one. Yeah, but that team wasn't expected to go that way coming into the year. They didn't know what you were going to get out of Randy Moss coming out of uh, out of Oakland. And Wes Welker, I mean, like, he was a kicker and, you know, a special teamer in Miami. You know, like, was the number one defense coming in that year. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The defense has always been good. So we always have the defense. I would say is he more like, more like LeBron in a sense that he is – he wanted to go somewhere where he had weapons around him. Basketball not is different than the NFL in that sense. Like – Brady is not going to win with at this stage of his career with the players that the Patriots offered him. So he oh, went right. to a team. I would say he went to a team that already had top talent and Godwin and Evans. And then he added to it by trading for Gronk and adding a free agent in Antonio Brown. Well, so, okay. I mean, but LeBron did little, that with the Lakers. A little different of a scenario. If he went to say, you know, Miami and all of a sudden was like, all right, this is what we're doing now. And like brings in eight guys and, builds a super team, then, like, sure, you know, but uh, I don't necessarily equate it one-to-one that way. Would you guys, by the way, I'm going to bring this up. Would you say that this Lakers team that just won the championship was a super team? 
I always thought the rules of a super team was three or more players. And besides LeBron and Anthony Davis, I mean, I guess you can technically count Boogie Cousins, even though we didn't see him all year long and he well, kind of got released. Count primetime Rondo? No, I don't count primetime Rondo. <laughs> no. No, he's not. Uh, Rondo's Kuzma. not. Rondo's not super team material. Well, Kuzma's pretty good. No, he's not that good. And I tell Bowden this all the time. Kyle Kuzma is one of the biggest letdowns I have seen in probably the last six or seven years of the NBA. It pisses me off to no end because he's doing what a lot of these stupid big men are doing and that's standing there on the arc and not using their huge-ass frames to get into the post because they're sitting there like little bees just at the arc doing nothing, not grabbing boards. Kyle Kuzma in his rookie year was Excellent at crashing the boards. I thought that this guy was going to be the next big board crasher. You, I'm such an NBA nerd. I actually watch to see which players crash the boards every time. Fundamentals, right? Now, Kyle Kuzma, since his rookie season, has sat there exclusively at the arc, and nobody's been able to figure it out that, hey, this guy is more of a power forward. Let him play in the post more rather than having him shoot threes where you don't see him 75% of the time. What are you thinking, Pemba? Am I right? No. Really? Well, how so? Well, I mean, he's 6'8". He's not like a traditional big power forward. And he shot 37% from three as a rookie. Um, I agree that he is. he could be... He had shown better rebounding ability early, but the team asked him to do something different because they brought in guys that were different around him, right? Like they, they drafted Brandon Ingram... Or Ingram was there before, but Ingram kind of took over that role ahead of time. Then they brought in Anthony Davis. And this year, I, I'm not going to hold this year against him because he was put on the bench. He was never really given a consistent role, and he was never a top-two scoring option. But, I mean, the year before, he had 18. He averaged over 18 points a game, five-and-a-half rebounds. I mean, do I agree that the last two years shooting the three has not been as successful as a rookie? I do, but I don't think he's like Julius Randle. I don't, Julius Randle is your post power forward. I think Kuzma has a little bit more stretch to him than you're giving him credit for. I just think that we haven't had the opportunity to really see that develop uh, as much as it was. But early on in his career, uh, especially that rookie year where he broke out, I mean, he was a he was a, a legitimate three point threat out there. So yes, um, but he did more than just that, and that's the thing. I I'm the opposite of what well, you're he, saying. So he I averaged six point three rebounds a game. So it's not like he was a near double double guy as a rookie, right? But he was aggressive as a rookie to where the, the six rebounds and sixteen points were fine, you know. And he doesn't He's, do shit now. No, well this right. Well, th so again, this is where I think this year didn't help him. You're, they they brought in Anthony Davis. They had Dwight Howard, Javale McGee. They had LeBron James. LeBron doesn't care about what Kyle Kuzma is supposed to fit in this offense. Of the year before, they needed Kyle Kuzma to be more of a scorer, and he was. 18 points a game, almost 19 points a game. Still had 5.5 .5 rebounds. So it's not like he did absolutely nothing. He increased his assist total in, in 2018. He averaged 2.5 assists for his 1.8. I think you're being a little bit too harsh on him based off what you watched this year. Because what you watched this year was never about the rest of the players on that team. It was about LeBron and Anthony Davis winning a championship. So... I think if AD was to go somewhere else, which isn't the case, he's likely yeah. opting out just to resign. Then we would have seen, you know, like we saw with Brandon Ingram this year. Ingram goes to a team where they allow him to be the main guy, allow him to flourish as a scorer and be a scoring option. And he wins the, what do you win? The most improved player of the year award. I think Kuzma, if he goes to a different situation, if he finds himself on the trade block this offseason, 
and goes to a team that will let him be a scorer, a featured player, I think he could pop right back up to being the 20 point a night, six, seven rebound guy. I think that's his skill set. I just think this year the team didn't ask him to be that. I don't think they're I don't think they're getting rid of him. And Sells, we'll bring you back in. I know this conversation is boring the hell out of you. But No, it's fine. It's interesting to listen to the two to the two aspects. I mean, I yeah. don't watch all that much NBA, but I would tend to agree that the roster construction didn't help him this year. No, it did not. And I will agree got, with John. I've got I'm three not... or four guys that could play the post in front of Kuzma, so Right. And I'm not saying that he there's no hope for him. What's fuels my frustration is that I had such high hopes for him as a board crasher because of what I saw that rookie year. And when I don't see these bigger guys, six eight still a big enough guy to crash the boards. When I don't see him doing it consistently, it pisses me off. I just don't understand it, why you just keep him out there instead of taking one of your guards who can't rebound because of size differential. And because I just, again, I thought that his pathway to the basket was good, but that is Kyle Kuzman enough shell. We gave him enough content there. Guys, let's move on to one of our favorite parts of the show. It's the idiot of the week. Now, this is going to get a little bit personal, so I'm going to save myself for last this time. And let's start with you, Cells. Who's the idiot of the week? My idiot of the week has to go to the losing manager of the World Series, and that would be Kevin Cash, a guy that managed so poorly, I thought he could have been the MVP of the World Series for the Dodgers because he basically handed them every strategic advantage possible. But we'll take it to game six, where Blake Snell is cruising, Pitched 73 pitches through five and a third innings. Ball hasn't left the infield on him yet. He's got nine strikeouts. He's commanding all four of his pitches really, really nicely. And a little dribbler goes up the third baseline for Austin Barnes, the nine-hole hitter for the Dodgers. And that's apparently it for Blake Snell, who cusses his way off the mound. By the way, the cameras catch him dropping multiple F-bombs as Kevin Cash is on his way out to the mound. To take Blake Snell out. Now, Blake Snell is the ace of that staff. He's a Cy Young award-winning pitcher. He's a lefty. Who doesn't hit lefties well? That would be the next three batters in the Dodgers lineup. <laughs> Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Justin Turner, and then we'll throw in Max Muncy, who, by the way, those four combined had gone 0 for 8 with seven strikeouts against Blake Snell that game. Two of them are lefties. Did you mention yeah, that? Yeah, Mookie Betts, by the way, also owned this year the MLB worst slugging percentage against left-handed pitchers at a whopping 218. That's not a batting average. That's a slugging percentage. That's atrocious. Guy can't hit. And you know how else you know it was an idiotic move? Mookie Betts has a gigantic smile on his face as soon as Kevin Cash steps out of the dugout. Anytime the opposing hitter is happy, the pitcher's coming out. You've made the wrong decision. Then, Kevin Cash brings in Nick Anderson, who, by the way, had given up previously a run in six consecutive postseason games, and then, not to spoil it for anybody who hasn't watched, but yes, you know the ending, gave up a run. is Within 10 pitches, he had flipped the lead to a 2-1 to one lead for the uh, Dodgers. So that's a that's an MLB record seven consecutive postseason games with a run allowed for Nick Anderson. By the way, what does Mookie Betts hit? He hits dead straight fastballs from right-handed pitchers. What does Nick Anderson throw? Dead straight fastballs, and he's a righty. What like just blow up your computer, Kevin Cash? 
learn to get a feel for baseball and stop sucking at shifting and making pitching decisions. Is that, by the way, Sales, his, analytics, his analytics didn't tell him that Nick Anderson's don't do well in the championship? It doesn't. I don't. I just don't. Like, if he had brought in Diego Castillo, whose pitches actually move and they don't go straight, and he throws breaking pitches, which, by the way, the Dodgers as a team suck against the curveball, then I would kind of understand it. But you brought in a guy who literally had pitched in every single game and had been smoked every single time he was on the mound to take out your Cy Young award-winning star pitcher. And for those of you saying, well, Blake Snell hadn't pitched that many pitches in a se- in a game this season, guess what? Tyler Glasnow was left in to give up eight freaking runs on 112 pitches in that same series, which was the most he had pitched all year, too. So that argument doesn't hold water. It was a dumb decision. And it cost them a chance to win the World Series. And Kevin Cash might be the dumbest smart manager in baseball. <laughs> wow. Sells, would you ra- would you rather the be uh, Grady Little or Kevin Cash? You know what? I'd rather be Grady Little because he trusted his guy. So would I. That's what I was telling everybody who was asking that question today. If you're well, if you're going to if if you come out there and you ask Blake Snell how he's doing, and he says, I'm good, and then it goes bad. You've trusted your guy, and I don't have a problem with you letting the starter get your get himself into trouble. But you took out a guy who was literally cruising, throwing the best start of his maybe career against a team who had no answer for him, and you took him out and you lit a spark under the under the Dodgers. I would much rather be Grady Little, who trusted his guy, it did not work out. Pedro got smoked. Obviously, I'm a Yankees fan that does not factor in this decision. It's because Grady Little trusted his guy. That's what I would do. Yes, Sells, not an idiot. John and Pemba also not an idiot. But John and Pemba, I'm sure he has an idiot of the week. I do, and it's actually from that game. And this is Justin Turner. And uh, more, so, more so the MLB also. Yes. Uh, <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. Uh, if you guys are not aware, Justin Turner was removed from last night's game in the eighth inning because his COVID test came back positive. That's right. You're hearing this correctly. In the middle of the game, his COVID test came back positive. Now, the story goes that the test that they had taken the night before, when it was came back, his test came back inconclusive, and that was during the second inning. So then they rushed, ran his test during that time, and that one came back positive. So they immediately contacted the MLB, got the team. And so by the eighth inning, they finally got him out of the game. So they knew in the second inning that it was inconclusive. They allowed him to stay in the game that whole time, even though it was an inconclusive test. And then they finally realized it was positive. They took him out. All fine, whatever. If that's how their plans are, if that's how it happened. But the game ends, and all of a sudden we see. Justin Turner on the field. We see Justin Turner running around with everybody. We see Justin Turner with various states of mask on, mask off, mask halfway on, mask halfway off. He's sitting there with the World Series team picture, no mask. He's running around. uh, And and according to the MLB, he was taken to an isolation room once removed from the game. And he basically forced his way out of the isolation room, refused to listen to MLB security, and did not follow any of the protocols that were there uh, regarding COVID what an idiot like as if this isn't a situation that could cause everybody harm knowing how contagious COVID is 
Uh, there was little kids running around. There was elderly people on the like. The, both teams are out. Like you had an opportunity of this infecting not only your whole team, their wives, maybe their kids, anybody else that was on the staff. You know, people were saying that this is how super spreader events start. Kind of like this is how teams, how the Marlins team went through like their whole like pandemic of of fourteen players or whatever it was. Like this is how that happened. The fact that nobody on the team told Justin Turner to stop. Even um, Dave Roberts was like, yeah, you know, like we're not going to be the ones to stop him from celebrating. Yeah, you're supposed to. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, So, you know, the MLB, Justin Turner, the Dodgers, idiots of the week right there. Yeah, Dave Roberts is, is, you know, he looks like he's in pretty good health, but he's kind of in the higher risk category. And hope to God he didn't get near Kenley Jansen, who already has a heart condition. Like, he's missed time the last two years because of an irregular heartbeat, and I'm pretty sure he has a pacemaker. So let's hope to God that uh, Justin Turner didn't get anywhere near Kenley Jansen and cause him some issues that didn't a Red Sox pitcher miss? Wasn't it Erod yeah, that missed the entire uh, Rodriguez the entire season this year because of heart problems from COVID? Yep. So yep. that's just I completely agree with you there, John. That was just completely dumb. MLB has opened an investigation. And the irony is that he might get punished more than any of the 2017 Astros. I was going to say, I was going to say, is he going to get like slapped with a 50 game suspension? I don't know what he's going to get, but any suspension he gets is larger than the 2017 Astros who stole the world series. Do you guys think that players that the Dodgers players knew what had happened to Justin Turner at the time? And they just, they just won the title. They didn't give a crap. Or do you think that maybe there's a chance that they didn't know the reason Justin Turner was taken no, out? No, they knew. They, okay. they, I think they knew, but I think their mindset might have been, well, he was in the dugout with us the whole time. Yeah, I mean, we're he all was screwed. in the locker room they, with us the whole right, time. That's, so. that's the only thing I could think about. It was like, well, we're probably screwed because he was on the field. Like, right, he's he played, also on the field making out with his games. wife, too. Yeah. Which, you know, whatever, you're going to have to quarantine with her, but probably shouldn't have just, like, personally infected her. Like, <laughs> right on national television, but... Very big idiot. Very big idiot. Here's my idiot of the weekend. This is one of my associates sent me this tweet earlier. Won't say who that is. His name is Matt Sells, for those that were <laughs> wondering. So Sells sent me this tweet, as, as Sells tends to do when he sees ridiculousness in the fantasy industry on Twitter. And I saw this tweet, and this dude, I'm not going to get into who exactly he is, He's the pod father, though. That's all I'm going to say. He's got a decent following, whatever. He's a fantasy analyst. And someone, fantasy player naturally, tweeted to him a question about the Seahawks' backfield with Chris Carson's health in flux. I mean, the whole backfield's health is in flux. So we got a lot of questions surrounding this. And look, we all get a lot of questions. We're fantasyalarm.com. We've got chats. We've got Twitter handles. We've got a ton of opportunities to get your questions answered. Seeing this from another site in this industry, seeing whatever this guy is part of, you know, Podfather, whatever, he this is disgraceful seeing his answer. And I'm going to read this answer. Like, you know, he's pretty much describing what his site is and how he produces a lot of content, if so facto, he doesn't have time to talk to this random person. And I just think that, Talking down to someone, talking down to a fantasy player, if you're an analyst, 
you have, and I see some of the responses, which are smart as hell, doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that, hey, you don't have to answer the tweet. We all get a ton of tweets. I don't answer all my tweets, especially if I'm being asked a question with seven or eight different analysts on it. You want to ask me a question? That's a different story. Personalize it a little bit. And I'm not saying that you have to go and say, Fensty, please, and thank you, and all that. However, I will never, guys, and I don't know about you, I would never give an answer as condescending as this podfather dude did. I, this industry deserves better. It's a bad look on the industry. Don't answer the tweet. That's the easiest thing. Don't try to make yourself look like the villain to gain the attention, which you did. But at the same time, this is disgraceful, Cells. Oh, I completely agree. The other thing is, it would have taken less time and less characters to type the answer to the running back question than it took him to write literally a full 280-character tweet saying, I produce more content by 8 a.m. than anybody else in the industry, which I think is physically impossible, <laughs> given how much content we have waiting for us as site producers on Fantasy Alarm every morning. Um but yeah, why take the entire tweet to say, look, man, I'm too busy to answer your tweet when clearly you're answering the tweet but not giving an answer? Like, literally the dumbest answer he possibly could have. Plus, he makes himself look bad. People are bailing on, on you know, following him at this point because they don't want any snarky or snide or non-answers. And then also as part of the reaction, I saw other site people commenting, hey, if you want questions answered, come to this site or this site or, you know, other sites being tagged like, hey, these people will always answer your question and never give you backlash. So, yeah, that was. It's disappointing. And, John, I don't yeah. know if you saw that as well. I, I shot you over the tweet. But again, John, you've been in this industry a while as well. And just seeing this, I just feel like it's just such a bad look. And even though this has nothing to do with Fantasy Alarm or anything, just the fact that we're in the same industry with this ass makes me ashamed. Yeah, I mean, there are a few people that and like this that we've come out and seen in the past um, be somewhat uh, rude, we'll say, to customers. And, and I get it. You know, like there are definitely times where uh, maybe you get tagged all day and things are just getting blown up. And maybe you just like, you know what? I don't have time for this. You're, you're constantly bugging me. And, and yeah, he went about it the wrong way. Um, you know, I've seen other people, some people in fantasy alarm, you know, comment on people's questions and be like, Hey man, you know, go about it this way instead of this way. Right. Or like, you know, cause again, you know, we love all of you out there listening, but there are times where, you know, it's like basically you ask us for permission to, you know, wipe your nose. You know, so like, you know, and, and that's fine. We're here to tell you how to wipe and what Kleenex to pick. But, you know, there are times where definitely, uh, I think, uh, stress and other things happen and, and unfortunate instances of uh, lashing out or comments get, get sent out. So yeah, just... uh, not something I would do, for sure not. And I don't think you and I would ever, you know, anybody in this, you know, sells or, or, or Justin would do the same thing. Um, you know, but sometimes you also have to be a little bit mindful also of, uh, you know, the, the questions you ask or how many questions you ask or who you're asking and all these things as well. Right. But I mean, this wasn't the basis of this question wasn't dumb. It was what to do with the backfield with Chris Carson. He wasn't being yeah. a jerk while asking the question. He wasn't well, like, hey, no, no, no. it's not it's not like. Hey, Julio Jones is playing. Should I start him against the worst pass defense in the league? Like, yeah, yeah and, I, and I agree. I'm just saying. We also, you know, who who knows if these two have a history? 
who knows if this guy literally messages him a hundred times a day, right? Like that's you know that's fair, but also you could simply just you could. It takes it it takes longer to write probably. Yeah, it takes longer for him to write that response than would have for him just to give him the answer. Right, just say, hey, Carlos Hyde of Healthy is probably the lead guy in Carson's absence. Bam. End of story. You've answered it. The guy got out of your way. It took less time to type that than it took to write 280 characters about why you couldn't answer the question in the first place (laughs) while answering the question. Freaking idiot. He's not invited to the family table, but all of you are right now because as we've been doing, we each go around a little circle and talk. Bring something to the table. You bring anything you want to the table, guys, and I'm going to start by bringing something interesting to the table. And it's something about, and this is speaking a lot more to the youth of our listeners and audience. And for those out there that are aspiring fantasy content providers, fantasy alarm, whatever, you know, employees, maybe fantasy sports writers, maybe broadcaster, radio hosts. The first thing, guys, I'm bringing to the table is I don't know how closely you follow the radio industry. But, you know, obviously I'm a radio nerd and I grew up listening in from being from Long Island. I grew up listening to WFAN and one of the top stations ever, the top sports station in the entire country. And Joe Benigno, who was actually a listener for the first few years of the fans existence and was such a good caller and well-informed and great sounding caller that the station in 1995 actually gave him the overnight show. And This is something that is just, again, just shows that dreams do come true if you prove that you have the talent and if you stick with it and if you keep going at it again and again and again, you keep knocking on the door. That wasn't his intention, but he was so good and so captivating, especially to Mike and the Mad Dog. He's bringing more content than them. You got to give this guy a show. Since then, he's done mid-mornings. He did afternoon drive. Most recently, he has announced that he at 67 is actually retiring next friday so what does that mean to all of us at fantasyalarm.com not much but i appreciate great broadcasters and the reason i brought this up mainly is just because this guy was a fan this guy was a listener this guy was a subscriber to sports content just like all of you and it just shows that hey dreams do come true and you should never ever think that you can't complete something in this world joe didn't even that wasn't even his intention but he had the talent and he had a great 25 years of being a radio host on the greatest station. And it just shows right there. You don't have to be the most well-trained broadcaster from Newhouse in Syracuse to be on the number one station. So always dream and always work hard to make them come true. That's the first thing I bring to the table, guys. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I agree to a thousand percent. I mean, those who uh, maybe don't know, like, my story, I, I, you know, always wanted to do – you know, sports radio, grew up listening to nothing very much in sports radio. That's why I'm terrible with pop culture references or song references or anything like that. Because it's always sports radio. And, yeah, you know, I went around it in a very different way than most people would. You know, going to journalism school, go to radio school, do all those things. I simply saw a tweet, loved fantasy uh, fantasy sports, uh, started just doing game analysis for free um, on one of the sites that were looking for help. And, you know, I've worked my way for the last... It's almost seven years now to where I am today. Uh, just because I said I put in the work, put in the effort. It was a passion of mine. I believed in it. That's something I wanted to do, and it's something I was able to achieve. Uh, so you know, it's it's all about being able to uh, take to take the opportunity when presented itself and work hard to get where you want to go. Yeah, Very same true. 
same here. I mean, I've been here five years, you know, got, you know, my, uh, I guess, cousin-in-law, technically, Drew Phelps, that we like to rag on, messaged me. was like, hey, man, do you want to do some sports blurbs for a little bit of extra money on the side, you know, throughout the month? And I was like, sure. So he got me in touch with Howard and started doing little sports analysis things, like one paragraph at a time, and just kept working at it and then moved up and moved up and, you know, now... You know, running tools and doing yeah, content stuff. Two-time award winner. Sell, and now, don't yes, sell yourself that's, short. Don't sell yourself short. That's true. I am. A don't sell yourself winning. short. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're I the only one here though. with the hardware, man. Yeah, I am, dude. I am fairly short though, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, you just got to work hard. You can set your mind to it. Do anything you want to. Yes. Need you, oh. need you walking around like uh, Owen Hart used to do with his Slammy Awards, you know, <laughs> two-hand and the. Uh, the trophies there. And the funny thing is, Owen Hart didn't even win either <laughs> Slammy. Somebody else won them, and he came up and took the trophies and called them his own. So Kanye right. West. Yes. Sells, <laughs> what's the first thing you bring into the table? So the first thing is going to play off of my idiot of the week here. And there's a lot of stats that go around for every fantasy sport you want to play. You know, whether it be even NHL has some pretty in-depth stuff. Um, you know, starting to get into uh, next-gen stats with NFL. There's We all know sabermetrics and, and analytics and MLB and all that. When you're looking at those things, the best thing I can tell you to do is use the eye test. If a guy sucks, I don't care what his expected numbers are because he's never going to reach them. If I'm watching him and he keeps missing on the same pitches, it doesn't matter what his expected wobo or expected ops or whatever you want to look at art so use the eye test that goes for any sport it goes for nba it goes for nfl it goes for mlb it goes for hockey goes for basically any sport you want to play dfs in if a guy sucks it's going to be quite clear i don't care what the analytics say and if you're drafting a fantasy team strictly based off of analytics it's likely not going to do very well all right, so that's that would be, you know, if Kevin Cash had used the eye test instead of his computer with analytics, he would have realized keeping Blake Snell in the game was probably the best decision. <laughs> so, you know, drafting, um, let's say drafting a guy who strikes out 35% of the batters he faces, but he allows the other 65% to hit home runs. I don't care what the strikeout rate is or what the expected, uh, you know, batting average against is. I test is telling you he's not getting it done. So that's that's my tip there for you for for part one is use use the eye test. Watch the games. That's the thing. Don't watch just highlights. That's that's how I learned how to watch sports like I do. I just watched a ton of games. That's what I did. I didn't have much of a life. John was talking about what he used to. For me, it was sports and wrestling. That's what it was. And watching Nickelodeon, that's pretty much my entire life from 1987 until 2005 when I graduated high school. That That's my entire life right there pretty much. So watch the games because you start to see the games differently. And you see things when you watch enough games that other people who casually watch don't. And that's another good way, by the way, if you're looking to break into the sports industry as well in that regard. John and Pemba, what are you bringing to the table? Yeah, so for me, uh, and this is something I've said to you a couple times now, fancy over various shows, 
Uh, we're entering, you know, the halfway point of the fantasy football season. You know, playoffs are, you know, coming soon. So if you find yourself in position where, uh, you know, you're maybe in line for a uh, fantasy playoff spot, you're closing in and need to make some runs. Uh, now is the time where I say it's okay to start looking ahead. You know, back in week two, week three, people were like, oh, I want to make this trade because in week 10, they have the so-and-so matchup and I want to make sure I set myself up for the playoff run. And we're like, it's too early for that. Make sure you put yourself in position to make the playoffs first and then worry about the playoff run. Well, now we're getting into the spot where I think it's okay to start looking ahead a little bit. If you have some guys in your roster that you're not really using, but you look ahead and you see, oh, you know, my quarterback maybe has the Steelers this week, but in week 10, this player actually has the Cowboys or the Eagles. I would pick that quarterback up off waivers now and, and at least set, set you up to have that type of play there. So as we're entering week eight of the fantasy football season, most people's playoffs start, we'll say, week 14, you know, week 15, week 16, championship week, depending on your league size and whatnot. You know, we're entering a point now where it's okay to start prepping and preparing for the playoff run uh, and setting yourself up to be successful. Do two or three win teams have that luxury, though, John? Well, I mean, again, I guess it depends on how many teams in your league make the playoffs. But no, I mean, right. I'm talking about if you're in position, and I said that, if you're in position to where you may be making the playoffs or you're in position to where, you know, you need a win. You need to win every week. So why not take the chance now to set yourself up so you know in two weeks you have that matchup that'll give you the edge that week to get that win that you need. Now, of course, if you're sitting there and you're two and five like I am in our Fantasy Alarm uh, Late Night Freaks Listener League, then no, I don't really have the luxury of worrying about my Week 10 matchup. I got to win now. <laughs> uh, you know, but if for the majority out there that are starting to prep and prepare and look ahead, now is the time to do it. You don't want to be... You know, and I say this all the time. You don't want to have, you don't want to spend fab money if you don't have to, right? Right. So if you can pick a guy up a week or two early that you know you want in two weeks and not have to spend fab money on him, do it. You know, like there's everybody's carrying somebody at the end of your bench that you're not, you're just holding on to. Cam Makers, for instance, and you let him go and you can pick somebody else up. So now is the time to start preparing to look ahead. I'll I'll endorse that especially for those four and five win teams, a hundred percent. And again, that just also teaches a lesson of make sure you're always looking on the waiver wire. Even if you're not grabbing, watching players as well, continue to be prepped because you don't want to take your mindset and your routine away in that regard, because once you lose it, then you lose your entire routine. You miss waivers and everything as well. Stay organized. That's the point. By the way, you mentioned trades, John, and that brings me to my second one. And this goes to, when asking any fantasy analyst a question about a trade, everything is context-related. Sending me a text and go, which side wins this trade? That does nothing for you, just like it does nothing for me. That's pretty much saying, hey, Fensty, put this blindfold on and go drive on I-95 South. Enjoy. Use your feelers. I don't want to do that. Fast is that why there's so like many accidents that. on 95? That could be, or it could be because DC and Virginia drivers absolutely suck. suck. They do. But, but besides that, that's what it's like when we have to answer those questions. Zero context. How many teams are in your league? What scoring format is it? Are there any weird bonuses? We want to give you the most accurate information possible, but just flat out sending a trade and even just like sending your roster to like, 
Give us a little info about the league. Because if you're just saying, what side wins this trade? Well, I don't freaking know, okay? You think I know? I don't know the context, and that's why I'm saying when you ask a fantasy analyst a question, make sure you give as much info as possible. I know Twitter doesn't give you the most characters, but do your best. Help us help you. That was my number two. Yeah, I asked John and uh, Babyface for uh, you know trade advice the other day, and I gave them the rest of my wide receiver core because it involved me trading away Michael Thomas to get a couple of, uh, I think it was Justin Jefferson and Chase Edmonds, maybe. I don't know. There yeah, was, it was kind of an interesting, it was kind of an interesting trade, but the fact that I could only start two wide receivers and then a flex, and I already have DK Metcalf and Kenny Galladay um, locks in the two wide receiver spots on a regular basis. So trading away Michael Thomas didn't, you know, getting Justin Jefferson didn't really help. But if I just said who wins, well, okay, that's an interesting trade because Michael Thomas is injured and the other guys are healthy and Justin Jefferson had just had a big game. So, yes, you have to give context to trade advice. Otherwise, it's just bad advice. And then you'll come back and go, well, that advice sucked. Well, you didn't give us the context. So, you know, if you're going to ask somebody for advice, you got to give them the whole story. Agreed. Agreed. Um. My my second one here, uh, you know, it, it kind of goes along with your context. Uh, I write the weekly NFL matchup report each week here for Fantasy Alarm. You should check it out, by the way. Not a terrible plug there. <laughs> 25 stats per matchup broken down, and then there's a little quick paragraph giving you some other interesting stats. But context plays a role in how you judge these stats. Because, for example, the Colts are giving up an average of, um, what is it? I just lost my points here. But they're giving, <laughs> up, they're giving up basically like 16 points a game, or 19, sorry, 19 points a game, right? Here's the thing. Half the games they've played, they've allowed 11 or fewer points. But in half the games they've played, they've allowed 27 or more points. So that 19 points ranks them fourth in the NFL. But they've given up 27 or more points to the Jaguars and the Browns and the Bengals. And now they face the Lions this week, who averaged 26 points a game on offense. So if you're just going, well, the Colts should hold the Lions at bay, well, no, let's take that into context because it's an average. So that's kind of my my point. you got to do a little bit more digging here. You can't just take, oh, this team is good because they do this on average. Well, what were their matchups that they, that they did well against? Like Baker Mayfield, if he only plays Cincinnati, he's going to throw <laughs> 755 touchdowns. But he doesn't only play Cincinnati, and the rest of the time... 26% of his touchdown passes in his career come against the Bengals. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> See? It's actually a little bit more than 26. I'm rounding down for the benefit right. of just saying a round number. Right. So if you look at it and go, well, geez, he had a pretty good week. Yeah, because he played a terrible pass defense. <laughs> and his... Career numbers, pretty decent. But if you take away all of his numbers against Cincinnati, he's three-quarters of the quarterback that his stats say he is. 
which isn't very good to begin with. So, wow, we got to look into context and don't just take raw numbers for raw numbers. I'm with you there. I believe, John, it was Eric Bischoff who says in his various podcasts, context is king, right? Context is king. That is that is true. Yep. Uh, what is your number two? Yeah, my number two here is a quick one. Uh, I'm an app guy. I'm not sure if you guys are as well. Uh, most notably, I'm an app guy when it comes to different food places. Uh, I introduced the Dunkin' Donuts coffee at the James Grande. He basically oh, lives God. in that thing now. Yeah, his uh, life has never been the same. Yeah, he gets free coffees like every other day. He's getting all the deals and everything. So now I want to introduce everybody to the uh, Wendy's app. Now, I'm not a huge fast food eater, but Wendy's just came out with a brand new chicken sandwich that you can get for free if you place an order through the Wendy's app. All you have to do is purchase another item. It could be a 99-cent drink. It could be a small fry. It could that be whatever, and you're getting your, this down. And you get you get yourself uh, their their new chicken sandwich. So I, I I yet to actually have the sandwich. Yeah, what well, um, kind but, of chicken is it? Is it spicy? Is it rotisserie? No, it's What's no, this? it's their regular crispy. It's their, their regular like uh, combo meal chicken sandwich, but they they've apparently changed it, revamped it. It's brand new. Uh, you know, they're trying to get the chicken sandwich game. I wish that they would go ahead and, and redo the spicy because their spicy chicken sandwich is really good. Yes. Uh, it, it is very good. It doesn't get the love because Chick-fil-A is better, but uh, the, the Wendy's spicy chicken is pretty solid. They changed their bun a couple years ago. Haven't really been a big fan of that, but um, yes, if you download the Wendy's app, you make an order through their app. Uh, you have the opportunity to get a free uh, chicken sandwich. Wow. That's probably the most valuable piece of information given in tonight's edition of family times. Right here. We need to get sponsored. In terms of like monetary value, yes. <laughs> That's true. Very, yeah, very true. You like eight bucks. <laughs> wow. That's that's amazing. I, I just want to say this for my number three. And, and I, I feel like I've kept my mouth shut about this for a while because I, I didn't understand why people weren't wearing masks. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to stop talking about this and see, see where it goes from here. I, I just want to say this to everybody. And that's just remember when you're wearing your masks, A, thanks for wearing a mask, but it's not effective if you're not covering your nose. I don't understand. It's now it's not, hey, wear your masks. It's now, hey, make sure your nose, which is breathing out still your germs, just like your mouth is, make sure that is covered as well. I don't like that. And according to the Elias Sports Bureau of Fenty, that in four of the last five days, I've gone to get my coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, which I also use the app because you get good as hell deals as well. I've encountered people in the coffee shop that are wearing their masks without covering their nose. I don't know what this is. I don't know if a study came out that says, okay, nose breath is different than mouth breath and germs are different. I don't think that's the case because we would have all been like pummeled with that kind of news. So in conclusion, cover your mouth and your nose. And guys, I don't know if you're seeing a lot of this, but where I am in Maryland, I'm seeing too much of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, watching everything. watching sports, it's been a pain because it seems like every manager or coach can't figure out how to put on a mask. <laughs> like, Bill Belichick has this, like, weird, like, it's folded so it looks like a bird beak that's coming off his face. Sean McVay might be a boy genius with play calling, but he can't figure out how to wear a mask properly. 
nobody in baseball could could figure out how to put on a mask the right way. Like they had it all over the place. Some people had it around their ears and then under their chin, which I don't even begin to understand why you even have it on your ears. You're just, I don't know, trying not to get caught without physical contact with a mask. I don't know, but it doesn't do anything. So it's not really that hard to, to figure out how to put on a mask over your face. It's not that hard. It's no, not. It's, it's yeah. really not. I don't think we have to say too much more about this, but again, I just had to bring it up because it's not, hey, wear a mask. It's now, hey, make sure you're covering your nose and your mouth. I've said enough cells, your final to the table. My final one is, uh, so we're, we're kind of closing in here. The football season's going rapidly by. We're at the halfway point here of the NFL season and even closer for fantasy football because it doesn't really cover the last, certainly week 17 if you're in, well set up leagues but some leagues don't even go to like week 16 depending on size and format and whatever so you know the nfl season is going to end here pretty quick not sure yet when nba is starting it might be december 22nd it might be january 18th don't really know yet nhl is starting i believe january 1st i think is their hard date to start that i've heard but in the meantime there are other sports you can check out for both DFS and fantasy. There's EPL that we cover here at uh, Fantasy Alarm. Steve Pimentel does a site for a second. <laughs> he does a pretty good job here uh, covering that. We've got Drew Phelps covering PGA. He does a real good job doing that. The Masters are coming up in the middle of November. That's right, the Masters in the middle of November. Uh, NASCAR goes till November 8th and then starts again the weekend after the Super Bowl. So there's really no off time there for NASCAR. Uh, we've got all sorts of, we got esports going like crazy. There's also uh, sorts of things that we're developing here for esports. So you guys should go out there and dip your toes into some other sports and not just stick to, well, I only really play NFL or I really only play MLB. There's plenty of other things that are fun to play learn some new strategies and a lot of times the strategies you pick up at other sports can be moved over and played in the major sports in terms of game strategy how you attack a slate how you build uh lineups you know what you look for in terms of value so now is a perfect time to start digging into other sports and not just going with the main ones that you always play you know branch out a little bit let's try some new things you're here Definitely. And by the way, scary good deal going on on FantasyAlarm.com through Halloween. Any of our sports packages, 30% off FantasyAlarm.com slash packages. You put that promo code in S-C-A-R-Y. That spells scary, and you get your 30% off right there. That's what we call a scary good deal. John and Pemba, the final one for you. Yeah, so I'm just going to go ahead and do my part here. It's been said on a couple of the past shows. Uh, but this is the last Family Ties podcast that we'll have before the election. So go ahead, go out there, vote. Uh, you know, whether side of the aisle you're on, that's up to you. That's fine, but it's still your, uh, you know, human right to go ahead and, and you know make your your voice heard. We'll say. Uh, so make sure you get out to the polls, whether it's mail-in ballot, voting early, do whatever you got to do. Uh, just make sure you get out there. Yeah, our own Rick Wolf waited in a line of three thousand people this morning to vote. So wow. You know, if he could do it, and Rick Wolf is busy as hell, I'll tell you that. Yeah, he could do it. You could do it. 
So for sure. And I've got plenty of friends who have stood in line for multiple hours to go vote. Just yeah, you know, I think Drew, I, I think Drew Phelps or or one of my not Drew Phelps, uh, Tim Reardon, one of my friends, he got pizza standing in line to vote. Yeah, there you go. There you cool. go. So yeah, you know, bring bring provisions. Make sure you're prepared to to hang out there for a few hours. Don't be uh, like some folks in Omaha who got uh, hypothermia. Yeah, don't uh, do that. Going to a rally. Uh, yeah, that was not good. Vote. Just get yeah, out there. Just go and be out, heard. Vote. Do it however you can and make sure your voice is heard. Yes, that absolutely. And we we do we also, by the way, put up a lot of polls as well. Speaking of voting, shameless plug here. I put up fan vote polls for all of you for alarm after hours so you could decide what you want to be covered on the show. And that is exactly why, hey, your voice needs to be heard on those, but also on what's going on in the world around us as well. For Matt Sells, John and Pemba. I'm Justin Fensterman, FantasyAlarm.com. We continue to help you dominate through and through just like a family should.